Welcome to KJV Cafe, where we explore great truths from God's holy word in a simple, down-to-earth fashion. Romans 10:17 shows us where faith comes from. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Let's grow our faith together in the cafe today. Our program is hosted by Pastor Clark Covington and brought to you by Heartland Ministries. Grab your Bible and a hot cup of coffee or tea and join us now as we explore God's Holy Word. Welcome to the cafe. Great to be here today. Hope you're having a wonderful day, a wonderful week. We are in part two of a multi-part series here on where the gospel shows up in Scripture, where the gospel of Jesus Christ shows up in Scripture. And in part one, if you missed it, I go over the two clearest places the gospel shows up in Scripture, one being 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, and the other one being Romans Road. And I know Romans Road isn't exactly a place, but it, hey, it is a book. It's the book of Romans. And uh, I go through those in depth in, in part one of this series. And now we hear, here we are in part two, where I'm wrapping up the issue of 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, being the most clear part of the gospel message in the Scriptures and uh, why Romans Road is so important. And then I get into a lot of ancillary scriptures, other scriptures that help back this up. And the point is this repetition that we see in the Bible helps us to understand the importance of this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm so excited to share this with you. So let's dive right in. That is how you're saved. And so we see 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4 gives us the historical context of what the gospel is. Romans, a uh, road, Romans 3, 6, 5, 10, 8, all of, all of the book of Romans, essentially, Romans road, gives us the path to salvation. And as we go through this and we meditate on it and we understand it, doesn't mean we have to understand everything that, that's in the Bible or everything Paul is speaking about here, other than how it relates to us and relates to the Lord. And we understand our need for him. We believe on Jesus in our heart. We're saved and we're secure in him. Those are the two clearest kind of pictures uh, in the Bible of salvation. And then there's tons of scriptures in the Bible that help bring context to what I've just reviewed. How about Mark 10, 45? For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45 give, gives us the idea that when you're saved, Christ is paying your sin debt, amen, because that debt is real and exists, and someone has to come and pay it, and you can't pay it because you have sin, and so you need a sinless Savior. That's why Christ is called the sinless, spotless Lamb, and so Mark 10, 45 gives us that example, the Son of Man, capital S. He came as a servant. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve, and he did serve, and it is a past tense. It is done. It's finished. It's a finished work. So Mark 10, 45 tells us, look, this free gift is available. It's been done. The ransom has been paid, amen. Everything has been done. You just need to accept Christ as Savior. How about John 3, 16 through 17? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so we see, of course, John 3.16, probably the most popular verse in the Bible, God's love for the world. He gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, nobody is 
beyond believing everyone can, should not perish but have everlasting life. As I understand it, everlasting life, it never ends. It doesn't say who believes on him and has money, who believes on him and is has perfect church attendance, who believes on him and has good works, who believes on him and goes to seminary, who believes on him and loves their grandma. No, it just says who believes on him. You understand that? We're not under the law. We're now under grace. Acts 10, 43. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Again, that's that forgiveness of sin debt that only comes from believing on Christ. Acts 13, 38 through 39. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through, through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. And so Acts is telling us here that, look, the law could never save us. What is the law of Moses? Those are all the laws in the Old Testament. And those laws were impossible to keep. There was literally hundreds of them. And God made the law to teach man that he's not righteous. The idea is if we broke one law, we've broken them all. And look, you can go into the Old Testament and realize, okay, you're breaking many, many laws, but just take our Ten Commandments. The idea of lusting after another, committing adultery just by looking at someone with lust, telling a lie ever in your life, of course you have. Um, coveting. You know, Paul writes he didn't know he had broken the law until he realized what coveting was. You know, coveting is desiring something that you don't have putting something in your heart above the Lord, making an idol out of something, having uh, pride in your life. There's so many ways that you can look at the Ten Commandments and say you violated them and th thank the Lord for Acts 13, 38 through 39, telling us that, look, if we believe on Christ, we've been justified and we no longer are under the law of Moses. We're no longer under the law. 2 Corinthians 5, 19, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed us unto, uh, committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So that's that word imputing, the idea of his righteousness was imputed to us, given to us, and our trespasses or sin was given to him on the cross. That's why the Bible says he had a drink of that bitter cup of sin, and that was awful. That was the hardest thing anyone would ever have to do on this earth because he drank the cup of sin, the cup of iniquity for all mankind, past, present, and future, for all that would believe on him, and they would make that trade for his righteousness. That's why he prayed. Jesus Christ, God himself in the flesh, prayed to the Lord to ask that cup to be passed from him, but nevertheless for God's will to be done, because it was a bitter cup. It was an awful, tremendously awful death. And beyond the physical was the mental anguish that God for a season had to turn himself away from Christ on the cross, because Christ was bearing that sin. And that's why we read that Christ said, why have you forsaken me? Because that was that time when God had to go away from Christ, because he was bearing that sin. But then how he was gloriously resurrected three days later, and walked this earth 40 days and 40 nights, and was seen by over 500. And now we know that he is fully accepted of God, that he fully is God, and that he is made righteous beyond righteous, and that all, all knees will bow to him and that he is the creator God. 
John 1 tells us that he was there in the creation, that he created the earth and everything in it. That's Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Well, does that not just back up what I just said? God the Father made God the Son to be sin for us, who knew no sin, Christ knew no sin, he was perfect, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So again, we are getting our righteousness from him. We go to, let's say you died in a car wreck today, you're in heaven, and God looks at you at the judgment. He says, why should I let you into my heaven? You say, I can't claim anything on my own. I claim Jesus. I accepted Jesus as Savior. I was saved. I believed on him in my heart as you have called me to do through your word, and now I'm pleading Jesus to you. I, I have his righteousness on me, and I'm pleading that as my case. That is, that is, he is my Lord. He is my love. He is my friend. He is my good shepherd. He is my all in all. He is all powerful, and he is all wise, and he is perfect, and he bore that cup of sin. He bore that iniquity on the cross. It's all because of him, and that's why I'm here, because of him. I've accepted him. Do you understand? That is where we get our righteousness. The Bible says our own righteousness is like dirty gauze pads, dirty rags. God views our righteousness as nothing, but he views his precious Jesus as everything. And when we accept Christ as Savior, he views us as Christ. 2 Timothy 2.8, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. And so we see here Paul explaining to Timothy, his understudy, his protege, hey, look, Christ is of the seed of David, the Davidic kingly line. We've got this in the Old Testament too coming up. And that uh, he was raised from the dead. He was resurrected by God himself. Uh, I like to watch Les Feldick Bible study on, on um, YouTube. And he mentions that Christ was the only one resurrected. Many were raised from the dead at times in the Bible uh, and at the times of, of Christ's resurrection. But Christ was the only one resurrected because all the rest died or went away. Amen. Christ never died and has everlasting life. And that's what we inherit when we believe on him. Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Well, guess what, folks? This is describing the future. We're looking for that blessed hope. What's that glorious appearing of the great God, our Savior, Jesus Christ? What's that? That's when the Lord comes in the sky, amen, with a trumpet sound and calls us home. That's the rapture. I'm looking forward, amen. I believe it could happen any day. You can ask my wife, ask people uh, in, in our church. I talk about it all the time. It could be today. I believe it. I know that all of the signs of the times point to his coming. And here in scripture, uh, in, in Titus 2, we see this outline that this is what we're looking for. And why we're looking for it, verse 14 of Titus 2, Jesus who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. That redemption, right? We had a problem. We need to be redeemed or made whole again. And how was that problem solved? How were we redeemed? By the blood of Christ. And purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous and of good works. And when we see that we are purified unto himself, unto Christ, that means that we are bought. The Bible talks 
about believers as bond servants, bond slaves. We are bought with a price. We are not our own. We are now the Lord's. And that's that's what it mentions here. How about Titus 3, 4 through 7? Again, illustrating the gospel in all of the Bible. But after the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is where we need to stop here for part two of this four-part series on where the gospel shows up in scripture or places in scripture that show the gospel. Oh, how important the gospel is to the Lord. You know, he doesn't want you to die and go to hell. I thought about it last night, what it'd be like to be in hell. And I imagine even a second in hell would be worse than our worst nightmare of all time. And heaven is better than our best dream of all time. And we have this moment here where we're either going to choose heaven and Christ or hell and Satan. Now we must choose Christ. And that is an affirmative step. Walking with the Lord takes steps. And step one is accepting his free gift of salvation, which he so eloquently and poetically and repetitiously put in his word. And so I urge you today to accept Christ as Savior. And if you've accepted Christ as Savior, why not share this with a friend? It's not bombastic. It's not screaming and yelling. It's not anything offensive other than the gospel, amen, but it's presented in a very, I think, a studious way, if I do say so myself. You can share it. You can go to facebook.com forward slash KJV Cafe, facebook.com forward slash KJV Cafe. There's a video there that you can share with friends. I hope you will. And tune in next time for part three. Thank you for joining me. Take care. God bless and amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of KJV Cafe. Have a question for Pastor Clark? Email him directly at clark at enduringpromise.org or visit kjvcafe.com and click the envelope button on the homepage. Our program is hosted by Pastor Clark Covington and brought to you by Heartland Ministries. We'll close today with Psalm 119 verses 166 through 168. Lord, I have hoped for thy salvation and done thy commandments. My soul hath kept thy testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. I have kept thy precepts and thy testimonies, for all my ways are before thee.